Hey gang, Melissa Hanalt here with the Burnout to All Out podcast. I'm a mom of three corporate burnout that built a secondary six-figure income around my nine-to-five with little kids. This set me free and allowed me to fire my boss and pursue my wildest dreams. It took grit, persistence, and belief. But now, operating multiple six-figure businesses as an online entrepreneur and business coach, I have become a serial entrepreneur with a passion to inspire more burnouts to take the leap and go all out and live out their dreams. Each week, I'll bring you inspiring all-out guests, lifestyle business tips, and tools to empower you to take the leap from burnout employee to all-out entrepreneur, making your passion your paycheck. If this mom of three corporate burnout can go all out, so can you. All right. Good morning to the Burnout to All Out community. Good evening to my Aussies who maybe are catching this late at night, early in the morning. We have an incredible, incredible guest here today who's, whether he knows it or not, we were just talking about it behind the scenes. He's like changed my mindset around money significantly this year. I can't wait to come back to him at the end of the year and show him the impact he's made. Guys, today we have Mel, one Mel to another Mel. We've got Mel Abraham here on the Burnout to All Out podcast. And I want to just enlighten you guys on how phenomenal he is and share with you a little bit about his background. But first of all, Mel, welcome to the Burnout to All Out podcast. Oh my God, Melissa. So good to be here. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. So let me let, let me enlighten some of the folks who are listening right now on what an amazing human you are and just some of the accolades. So he's Bell is the founder of the Thoughtpreneur Academy and Business Breakthrough Academy, where he helps entrepreneurs bring their businesses to the world and build the lifestyle that they want. And Mel is one of the most sought after financial experts and entrepreneurial mentors and strategic thinkers of our time. Mel actually came and was a guest speaker at our mastermind, Mommy Millionaire with Kayla Craft. And I know Kayla has done some of your coursework on money management as well. I just couldn't be more tickled to have you here today. Mel's a true believer in the entrepreneurial way of life and says that becoming an affluent entrepreneur, which we're going to unpack a little bit today, is the new frontier and paradigm that will shift society from simply existing to living life bigger, bolder, and on their own terms. And, and what I pulled here is that you said it's, it's about having a richer lifestyle, making a deeper impact, and living with complete freedom. Like, who can't relate to that? Mel, last month, you were a guest speaker. And you shared, you just shed so much light for the online entrepreneur on a lot of stuff around money mindset and how you can control your money and all the things. But before we get in and unpack that, I would love to go back to the Mel who was still trading time for money, right? Like oh, at yeah. that point, at that inflection point, like can we can we go back to the beginning before you drop one incredible knowledge bomb after another? Bring us back to the life as an accountant back in the day. Yeah, you know, can, I'm going to actually go back before that for a second because okay. I started. I got a taste of entrepreneurship early in my life at age 11, and. Uh, and because I think it was it was partly having that taste of what entrepreneurship was that kind of made me uh, unsettled in in the other job in, in in my job. But at 11 years old, I was sitting. Well, at 10 years old, I was sitting with my dad watching a an old time movie with Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, and it was uh, the movie about Harry Houdini. 
Mm. And so I was fascinated with this guy that no chains could hold. But then when I started to research him and read about him and take all the biographies at the time that I could find it, I found out that he was so innovative. He was so creative. He was a showman, but he was an entrepreneur. And I got fascinated with magic. I started to take the RTD, the bus across the valley and spend my summer days in a magic shop called the Magic Emporium for the whole day. And I would learn and I would watch and at 11 years old and, and someone came in and said, started talking about how they made some money this weekend because they did a gig. I'm going, and then when he left, I, t- I looked at the owner. I said, hey man, what's a gig? What do you mean? They can make money at this. And he said, oh yeah, they're making, they make money. They do shows. And it made me realize, it made me think about it. I go, okay, wait a second. I could make money doing something I love to do and bringing joy into people's lives. So I went out and started doing magic shows as a clown at age 11 for $50. Now we're talking, let's see, I was 11. So it was 1972. Now you know how old I am, but uh, 1972, I was getting paid $50 for a half an hour to do a magic show. I'm going, this is cool. Okay. (laughs) I can get paid. And so that bug, I think, just sat in me that I, I had this belief that what we do and what we what we do to make a living should make a life. Mm-hmm. And, and so that kind of carried on. But as I started to go into college and everything, you know, at first I was going to be a doctor and because I had the Jewish mother that said, you know, you need to be a doctor. You know, it's, it just... And then I realized I wanted nothing to do with blood and I wanted nothing to do with medicine. And so I ended up becoming an accountant and I followed the traditional path, ended up in one of the large accounting firms in downtown Los Angeles. And I was one of those kids that took on every project that other people didn't want to do, which gave me huge opportunities for growth. I was on a fast track to partnership, but just like law firms, just like accounting firms and other service professionals, you're swapping hours for dollars. And so you're at this this tipping point always between the budget, between the collections, between the pricing, between the hours in a day. And I found myself late one night on a Friday night staring out at the night sky of of downtown L.A. It was 10 o'clock at night. And here I was Friday night working late, just like I've done repeatedly weeks after weeks after weeks. Now, I'd been there for a number of years uh, already. I was doing really well. I was advancing. But then I turned around from from the skyline and and saw the partner sitting at, at the desk that I did a lot of work for, Tom. And there was this guy and, and I didn't see him, though. I saw me. I saw my future. And my wow. future was overweight, stressed out and inches away from a heart attack, not enjoying things, not seeing my family, not seeing my friends, not seeing my children. And I didn't have children at the time. I was single at the time. But I just had this vision of what was what was in store for me if I stayed on this swapping hours for dollars type of journey. And I literally walked into his office and said, Tom, I got to quit. I got I got to leave. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said to him, I said, I'm living someone else's life. I'm living the life that accountants are supposed to live. But that wasn't what was meant for me. There's more than this. There's more than 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 ticking and tying and auditing and doing these things and working late nights. And and how many hours are you going to put in and how many hours are you going to bill and how many hours are you going to collect and all of that stuff? And he says, dude, you're 
Yeah, I don't know if he called me dude, but he says, you know, you're you're killing it here. You're doing great. You're on fast track to partnership. In a couple of years, you'll, you're going to be partner. Why would you leave now? You're going to screw your life up. <laughs> I go, well, because if I, I if I'm going to screw it up, let me do it while I'm young enough to fix it. <sighs> I love and that. So I left, and and I didn't look back. Well, I left. I left and I went to Japan for about five months and lived in Japan to train in the martial arts. I've been in the martial arts for 40 plus years. And, and so I just disappeared. I cashed out my, my, my 401k, which I don't recommend anyone do. Um, <laughs> but it worked uh, for you. Start to understand the, the, the time value of money and all that stuff. But back then I cashed it out so I didn't have to work. And I literally, I was in a small little town in North of Tokyo. I was the, I was the tallest guy there that meant. And I was training twice a day. And that's all I did. And then when I came back is when I said, all right, what does life look like? What do I want to do differently? And how do I want to do this differently? But it was that moment. Well, that was one of the turning points that 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 bug of entrepreneurship that said there's something bigger. There's something greater. There's something that's calling for me. That's calling to me. That is my calling and not my degree. And that's that's what really kind of started this journey that I've been on. Oh my gosh. And such an incredible journey. And when I thinking back to, you know, your comment to your boss, when you were like, I've, I've got to go right. And his perspective of like, you're going to screw it up. Like you're going to like, that is such the typical corporate mentality. You know, for me, I fired my boss three years ago and I'll never forget. He was probably 30 years older than me and he treating me like a child, like a daughter. Right. He's like, yeah. Melissa, like basically like, you don't know what you're doing. Right. But I think to your point, people like live in this like life pattern and thought process that like it is this, it is what it is. And this is the direction you have to go. And you completely broke the mold, came back home. And so, so what happened next? I actually went to a regional or a local firm firm that Uh I became partner in. Uh, And so I went back into the accounting firm area, but my primary focus was consulting. My primary focus was valuing businesses, buying, selling businesses, expert witness testimony, helping people build their dreams, helping, mm-hmm. taking, saying, I have a skill set. And, and what I want to do, and I, I think that as a society, as a group, as a society, you know, you think about children. And if we ask a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? They don't give you one thing. They give you a list of things. Mm. And somehow, somehow as we go along our journey through education, through our parenting, through socialization, through all of these things, we start to, to whittle away at that list, mm. which means that we're whittling away at our dreams. Mm. We're, we're cutting some of that out. And so all of a sudden, we're supposed to say, this is what I'm going to be for the rest of my life. But life's more than that. And, and so we've stripped away the dreams. And I watched so many people. I had a, a guy that I was that was a, a friend and a client of mine who he was just before his 45th birthday. And he walked into my office at the time and I could just see he was in a funk. And I go, dude, what's going on? What, you know, I said, this 45 got you down. He goes, I don't know. Maybe I go, you wondering where all the time went? And he literally looked me in the eye and he says, no, I'm wondering what's left. Oh, what? I mean, what's left? What's left is life. What's left is life. Let's go live it. Let's go make it the best we can. But how many people are staring at life and saying what's left mm. and, and, and feeling like they, 
left a lot behind that they didn't live. It's like this question of when we leave this earthly place, do you have a life unlived inside of you? Mm -hmm. And and I never want to do that. I want to, I want to live it fully. That's, this is where I, I say this, this whole idea of a richer lifestyle, because I don't believe that what we're really in search of is wealth. Wealth to me is a statistic, mm-hmm. but I think what we're in search of is richness, the yeah. feelings, the experiences and, and everything. So when you get to the end of your days, you're exhausted because of the excitement, the exhilaration of how you lived it and that you can look back and say, I was well lived and I didn't leave anything on the table. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So good and resonates so much. You know, I read a a quote in a book not too long ago that talked about this kind of, you know, corporate minion mentality of people just being like cows, miserable standing in the rain. And I thought, what a visual, right? Back to the guy you were talking to that's like, you know, what's left? He's like that cow. You know, you drive by the cows are just standing in the rain. (laughs) You live a mildly miserable life. It's not so bad that you won't change, that you need to change. But it's truly not the fulfillment that you want. And and the funny thing is the fulfillment has nothing to do with how much you earn. The fulfillment has to do with how you experience it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, so good. Okay. So I know, I know, I know kind of how the story unfolds, but I'd love for you to share, you know, with, with the audience that, you know, as you kind of segued into that kind of second phase of your career, you were a, a father who was a full-time, a single full-time parent. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Can you talk so, a little bit about that? Yeah. I, so I had the, 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 the local firm that I became managing partner of and in the 90s, about 1996, they, the, my other partners came to me and said, because I was, I was running around, I was speaking all around the country and doing things to build the business and do all that. They, and it wasn't, here's, here's again, the same tunnel vision. It wasn't the traditional path that accountants were supposed to take. It wasn't the way we were supposed to, you don't go out and market. You, the phone just rings for accountants type of a thing. And mm-hmm. so they came and they basically said, we don't want to be partners with you anymore. So they shoved me out the door with, uh, uh, I had no clients, no client backlog, no cash flow, And I was over $300,000 in debt because I just I literally just bought a house. And, and that happened to be the same year that I became the, a single full-time dad of my, my then five and a half year old, six year old son, uh, Jeremy. And, uh, so here I was standing, you know, you talk about standing in the rain, standing in the rain, kind of going, <laughs> How do I keep the roof over my head? How do I keep this going? How do I pay the bills? How do I take care of my son? How do I live the dream to have an impact on other people's lives while taking care of the very gift, the beautiful gift of fatherhood that I was given? And and so I did what most people I think would have done. And I dug my heels in. I put my head down. I started running the miles. I started doing the work. I started doing the marketing. I was traveling. I was doing these things. And and it started to work. I started to get clients in and, and people coming in and I had cash flow and I'm looking at Jeremy going, kid, this is going to work. We're going to keep the roof over our heads and, and all that. And, you know, these the children have such a, an honest way of communicating. And and so one day, probably six, seven months in, Jeremy comes running in and goes, daddy, 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 I drew a picture of you at school today. And so I knelt down and here he hands me this picture. And I look at this picture in blue felt pen and it's a picture of me standing in front of two computer screens and the one and, and a phone in each ear and the one on the desk ringing. Wow. And, and in that moment, I realized I was screwing this whole thing up. And, and I also realized that 
I could have looked at him and said, hey, kid, this is this is for us. The prophets, everything. It's for us. It's for us. So we can do the things that we want to do. But the fact in his mind is we weren't doing the things we want to do. He saw me working, not at Disneyland, playing ball. And and so this this conflict came up about, is it possible? Is it possible for the dream, my dream, to be an entrepreneur, to serve people, to make a difference in people's lives, to coexist with the responsibility and the gift of being a parent? Mm. And it was in that moment that I had to look at things because I had so many people in my ears saying, hey, Mel, what you really need is work-life balance. And you know what? Work-life, just, just like the, the single path of, of success is a fallacy. So is work-life balance. It's not about balance. We can't live our life in different buckets for different times of the day. I mean, that's separating and splitting our personality and saying, hey, eight hours, 10 hours, I'm going to be my work personality. And then I'm going to be my life personality or my dad personality or my mom personality. We can't do that. So it's not about balance. I realized it's about harmony. It's about realizing that everything coexists together. And it was in in that time where I was able to sit back and go, how do we do business differently? How do I do business differently? How do I do money differently? How do I liberate myself from the hours in a day, liberate myself from the traditional path, liberate myself so I know that I can live and be the kind of dad that I want to be and the kind of partner when I end up ended up with someone that I want to be. And, and it was it was a really pivotal point for me to start to reinvent. My dear friend, Brian Tracy says, you know, we need to use zero-based thinking. And I think society could use a lot of zero-based thinking today where we look at things and say, instead of the old, the old paradigms giving us the boundaries of how we might do things, what if we came at things with no boundaries of the past and mm-hmm. reinvented them from scratch today? what Elon Musk has done with the, the auto auto industry. Wow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and so I said, let's reinvent this. Let's relook at business. Let's relook at money. Let's look at things in a way that we find that we are building, building for, for our lifestyle and not a bank account. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so good. And I love what you said, a couple of things. I mean, talking about rethinking and recreating boundaries for yourself. It to me it sounds like you've kind of lived that philosophy from day one, right? Like I, I hear you stating it now, but I think back to your your transition of kind of leaving that first career and going to Japan, you kind of like you 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 rewrote the boundaries, right? You you were exercising that zero-based thinking, which I think has propelled you tremendously and inspired so many people with your coaching and your leadership now. And and the other thing you said that I think really resonates too with me personally, you know, I left my corporate job three years ago and I'll never forget before leaving, my daughter had a little fake plastic phone, right? And she was like three or four. And I'll never forget her walking up to me and pretending like she was talking. And when I tried to talk to her, she was, she went, one minute, one minute, mom, one minute. And it made me realize like the shushing you know, the shushing and like, mommy's got to work, right? Like that. I was like, and she was only three or four years old. And I'm like, oh my God, she's picked up. She's picking up this habit that I have of like shushing her because I've got this phone. And it just, it was like straight to my soul. Kind of like you're speaking to children, (laughs) children, they listen more strongly to what we do than what we say. Oh, yes. And we we also have done the same thing. We've 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 learned and done some things, uh, and we, we've picked up things based on 
our uh, observations yeah. and the things that we've done. Yeah. yeah. So, so that was a pivotal moment for you, right? With your son oh, yeah. and the picture. So what happened? What happened? Well, that's when we, re- we reinvented, I kind of reinvented my practice. The first, one of the first things I did is I, you know, this whole working remote and from home and everything was new. I mean, we were, we're talking, we were talking in the nineties when I did it, but I said, no, he's not going to daycare anymore. He's not doing that. So I had an office, but at, at two o'clock every day, I left the office. I, I picked him up from school and, and he was at home with me mm-hmm. and I worked from home. And if I had clients that didn't understand that, that Jeremy was a priority, there wouldn't be clients for very long. Because, because the people I worked with had similar values. They understood the important things in life. And, and, and I was okay with it because the time that Jeremy and I, you know, you fast forward, Jeremy's now 30. He's married. He's got a, his wife's 27. They're expecting their first child. I'm going to be a granddad. Yay. First time. And we just found out that it's going to be a granddaughter. So I'm in deep. Oh my gosh. I am in deep (laughs) trouble because I don't know how I'll tell that little princess. No. So, um, (laughs) So yeah, and and we're best of friends. So the yeah. whole picture is completely shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really looking at things and saying because the accountant model was this hours for dollars. So I had to look at it and say, how can I, how can I, you know, leverage my time so I'm not delivering one on one. Whether you're whether you're getting a paycheck, okay. You're getting paid for your hours. You're selling your hours. And, and that, that creates a finite amount of wealth building potential. If you, if you want to look at it that way, I call it intrinsic wealth, wealth potential. Whether you're a wage earner or you're in business, if you're selling hours, you create limiters on your ability to build wealth. So I had to look at things and say, how do we do this? And one of the things that we did, I did, is I was project based. I was. They would hire me to do valuations. They hired me to do consulting, but it was project based. And inevitably, what they would do is is ask me the the idea of well, how many hours and what's your hourly rate? And I go, I don't have an hourly rate. I have a project rate, and it depends on what the needs of the project are. Now, my project equation. What they didn't understand, and that's okay, is that part of that equation was the amount of life and lifestyle I had to give up um, in return for that mm. because I wanted to be compensated for that. So I would look at a project and I would look at the value that I was bringing to that world. You know, if I got hired into a case to testify at, at a trial or something as an expert witness and there's $20 million on the line, paying me 100000 is a drop in the bucket. Right. <laughs> And so, so if I can save them that, so I got to look at the value that I bring to the table, the transformation I bring to the table. It's not based on hours. You don't measure the transformation in hours. When we look for the best person, a lot of, a lot of people, especially when they start to create courses and all that stuff, they go, how many modules should it be? How long should it be? It needs to be as long as it needs to be. Right. You know, the volume of time doesn't create the value. The outcome creates the value. Mm. And in fact, isn't it more valuable if you can get the outcome faster? Oh, so good. 
Yes. So good. I wrote this down. The transformation on the table, the outcome creates the value. You know, one of the things I say a lot, especially to my new students, we've got about 55 new students in the LinkedIn Academy, is that the transformations and the transaction, right? The investment, right? So it's so good. People are popping up in the chat box just saying this is brilliant, how much lifestyle it's going to take you. So, so good. So you've, I mean, from there, Mel, I mean, you have scaled up multiple million dollar businesses. You've helped clients with multiple million dollar businesses. You've got, you know, national best-selling books. You've been a jet setter, traveling, you know, master trainer, all the things. And you, I mean, you've, you cracked the code. You figured it out, coaching and leading and mentoring other people along the way. And then what happened? <laughs> Life happened. So here's the deal. We're talking about early 2019. So in early 2019, I just finished a multi six figure launch. I am like, like you said, I'm I'm masterminding with some top, top entrepreneurs, people that are running $100 million business, billion dollar businesses. I'm speaking on some of the largest stages around. So life is really good. I'm doing good. I'm flying back from masterminding in Puerto Rico on a G5. So Life's good. I'm I'm like loving it. They gave me a hard time because they said I was going to eat all the snacks on the plane. Like, we got a long ways to go. But So then two weeks, literally two weeks after I stepped off that plane, I found myself in a hospital bed. Uh, and what they found was a five centimeter tumor in my bladder. And I heard three words that I never thought I'd hear in my life. And that was, you have cancer. It, you know, not that it's ever supposed to happen for someone, but it wasn't predictable for us. No one in my in my family ever has had cancer. I'm not a smoker, not a drinker, I'm not around chemicals. They say, you know, bladder cancer is environmental. It could be smoking, drinking, or chemicals. I said, I'm an accountant. The strongest <laughs> chemical I'm around is ink. Right. So I don't know how I got it. Then they turned around and said, well, you know, and it's weird because the average age of, of someone that gets this cancer is like 73. I go, well, unless mom lied on the birth certificate, I'm nowhere close. So what's going on? But what really happened to me was, was that life got turned upside down. Because in that moment, I, I went into a dark place in the sense of trying to figure out why and try to figure out how and what was I going to do. And, and I, I kind of crawled into a corner for a little while because I, I, I was in denial until I realized I was saying, you know what? And I think this this goes for for everyone today, especially if they're struggling financially, if they're struggling in life, and you are regretting maybe your decisions or something. It doesn't matter, you know. I, what I had to come to is a place of acceptance. I had to come to a place of awareness and say, "Okay, I've been dealt this hand. Okay, now what? What am I going to do next?" And and even though I don't know why. Even though I don't know how it happened, I knew that I had to deal with it. So, so life kind of flipped everything on, on its head. Here's the thing that I, I realized is that I was going to have to deal with the cancer emotionally. It was a five and a half, it was a five centimeter tumor, they thought when they when they went in, it turned out to be seven and a half centimeters. Wow. Before they went in, the doctors looked at me and said, it's on top of the prostate. We might have to remove the prostate. We can't see the ureter on the right side. We may have to put a tube in and a bag for the kidney. And if it's really bad, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to take your bladder out. And uh, so I, I didn't. I really didn't know what life was gonna be like. I didn't know what was gonna happen. And yet I I had to. I didn't have a choice. This was a journey that was chosen for me some somehow some way. And and what what kind of came out of this was that 
I had to deal with it emotionally. Yeah. I had to deal with it physically, energetically, spiritually. I had to deal with it at all levels. I was going to have to deal with it. But the one place I didn't have to deal with it was financially. Mm-hmm. Is that this, the work that I started to do when Jeremy drew the picture of me served me in the sense that I built a financial machine that allowed me in that moment to say, okay, the best way to fight this is with everything I got. That means that I can't be actively engaged and involved in my businesses as I was in the past. I'm not traveling as much. I'm going to stay focused on my healing. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to put a team together and we're going to go after this thing with everything I got. And this little bad boy doesn't have a chance. And and we need to come at it with that, with that perspective. And And so what I was able to do is extract myself from the business, basically shut the business down to about 20% of where it was operating before, not necessarily 20% of the revenue, but 20% of my activity, my active role in it, Mm -hmm. and then turn on a machine that allowed me to live, turn on a machine that produced cash flow that paid for my lifestyle, my wife's lifestyle. I didn't have to drain savings. I didn't use an emergency fund. I didn't sell the house. I didn't sell anything. I didn't sell my wife's shoes. That would have been a fate worse than cancer. Okay. So I was able to sustain myself because we built a financial machine outside my activity to generate income. Yeah. With that, I was able to focus. Now, you know, fast forward three surgeries later, four tumors later, 28 treatments later, November, they declared me completely uh, cancer free. So and they were surprised. They said, we've never had someone go at it the way you did. But I don't know any other way other than to sink everything I got into something. And that's the way I approach this. And God bless the, the people around me, you know, my wife and, and, my, and my son and his wife and, and the people that love me through the process. There's no way I would have been as graceful with it if it wasn't for, for her and them to do that. And so the realization, though, is this. It's not about the cancer, that, that this is what put me on this, this new chapter of my journey, because what, what I re- see in people is that it's not about the cancer that matters. It's about when something happens, whether it's cancer, God forbid, or some other consequence, or it's the pandemic, or, or a relationship, or a loss of some, some sort. When something like that happens, are you prepared? Yeah. Are yeah. you prepared? Because because one thing's for certain, all your plans won't go as planned. Life will happen. And the, the only question you can ask is, are you prepared? Yeah. And and to me, to me, this is the this is where I find and give the why to the cancer and not ask why the cancer happened. I I realized that the why around the cancer isn't in the past. It's in my future. Mm. It's, it's up to me to make it mean something. And what, I wanna, what, what, what I've been given is this gift of saying, this is the culmination of a 35-year financial journey for me. And mm. now I get to, to pay it forward. And I get to take it, the, the lessons that, that I've learned and say to people, how do you live your life? How do we make sure you're prepared if life happens or it makes a U-turn or flips upside down so you never have to worry, so you have the peace of mind, so you can go through it and live a life that's fulfilling and fruitful? And so yeah. that's, that's how I see uh, and how I kind of ended up in this, in this space and, and doing this. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. Such a good story. And people are just blowing up over in the chat box, just talking about how inspiring your attitude is and how awesome it was that you were so prepared and that you're able to, to, to pave it forward. I have to tell you, Mel, and I was telling Mel a little bit about this before we went live and I'll share with you guys that I had some major aha moments with him as he was really kind of walking through the affluent entrepreneur kind of concept. And hopefully you'll, you'll be able to unpack a little bit of that for us here in a second. But, you know, he helped me realize that, you know, I needed to take a bigger front seat in my own financial destiny. And I talk about this a lot, especially women tend to just be like, Oh, you know, money's not my thing. My husband can manage the finances, right? I realized, you know, over the past year, I've been creating these multiple streams of income, these crazy cash injections. And I was just depending on my husband to just kind of figure it out and manage it, even though he is works in a linear nine to five role. And one of the things that, you know, you talked about Mel that really made the light bulb go off for me while I was there listening to your talk about this was that when you earn beyond your financial comfort zone and and you may talk about this a bit, but that, that you can lose it all over time. If you're not doing something to, to raise your competence around money and managing it and where it goes and make it work for you. And so all these like light bulbs are going off for me that like, gosh, you know, I love and adore my husband. He's an engineer. He's great with numbers. But like the reality is both of us were raised with parents who didn't talk much about money. They're not college educated. The only thing we know is like what we saw growing up and we weren't being proactive about learning how to have this money work for us more other than just kind of assuming we'd figure it out as the money came in, right? That was like the biggest aha moment for me that was like, I have got to take control of this and learn this affluent entrepreneur model. And how can I create this portfolio that's going to help the money that's coming in? How can I make it make money for me long term so that you have a story like Mel, where God forbid something happens and you can't show up the engine still making money for you, right? And so that was just such a massive aha moment for me and just brought forth more accountability for me to really take ownership of my finances and where they're headed and what they're doing for me. Do you mind kind of, because we have a lot of folks, you know, I think where I want to like kind of draw the parallel here is we have a lot of folks here who are building a secondary income stream, right? And they're, right. they're, they're but the reality is that money coming in you know, maybe they don't necessarily have a plan for it. And it's additional money as a secondary business. Like what, you know, can you talk a little bit to this affluent entrepreneur model and how we can stop, you know, long-term as an entrepreneur trading that time for money and be able to kind of back away from the business and have that umbrella kind of security blanket of income? Yeah, absolutely. So here's the thing. And you mentioned it at the, at the opening. When I think about an affluent entrepreneur and the work that I've done with folks, I think that there's three critical outcomes, three, three critical characteristics that I see when I, when I look at someone and say, that's an affluent entrepreneur. That's, that's living a life of affluence. And some people will think affluence is a stodgy thing. I use the term affluence because I think it's more encompassing. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the money. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's not about the money, although it is about the money. I know that, but it's it's about the purpose behind the money. Too often, too often we think that the money is the purpose, but it's not. The money is the result. Mm-hmm. The purpose is what drives you to that. Mm-hmm. And when we make money, the purpose is where we go astray. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge is that, like you said, just like your daughter observed you and did the phone call thing. This is how we learned our money stuff because society would say, 
Oh my God, don't talk about money. It's taboo. Don't have these conversations. And they equate the conversation around money equals you're greedy or you're mm-hmm. bad or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and especially with the Wall Street and all that stuff. But it's not. It's not. It, it, it is a necessary conversation that we need to have early on and often because it's not the money that's the issue. It's what it gives you. Mm. It buys you back options. It buys you back your life. It buys you back time. It gets you to be able to serve the missions, the movements, and the things that you want to do in your life. That's the purpose. Yes. It's not the money. Yes. To do that, like I said, I think there's three critical characteristics that we said. One is that an affluent entrepreneur, a person of affluence, wants to live a richer lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. someone where they're experiencing life fully, that they they're embracing it completely, that they know that it's about the experiences and, and it's about and this is important to understand. It's about you defining what that looks like too mm-hmm. often, especially today, especially today. We start to define what richness looks like based on social media, based on the media, based on looking to the right and left, looking at what my neighbor just bought and what are they driving and what are they wearing and what are they doing and and not looking in the mirror and saying, what matters to me? Mm. And screw what everyone else thinks and what everyone else is doing, because you know what? Probably most likely, okay, they're. They're broke. They're doing it all on debt and they're struggling and they're stressed and they're doing that. We see this facade that they put out there on Facebook or on Instagram or Pinterest or wherever you look. And we don't see the real guts of their life. Mm, mm-hmm. And so so really, the question is your richness. And if it happens to be defined as a yacht in Monaco, great. Or a tent in Montana, totally fine. Mm, mm-hmm. And so they have a rich lifestyle that's defined at their own hands. The second thing they have is a deeper impact. They know as entrepreneurs or as people that we're impacting the people. We're, having a, uh, we're making a difference in people's lives with the things that we serve, the things that we do. But there's a deeper impact. Those that are truly affluent realize that success comes with responsibility. I am affecting the people to my right and my left, my family, my siblings, the people that I love and care about. And I need to ask myself in this process, how is that impacting them? Mm-hmm. Because we've watched relationships. Money is a funny thing. We will screw up relationships for it. We'll screw up health for it. We'll, it will impair our integrity, our ethics for it. Come on. We need to think differently. We got to look at it and say, I have a responsibility an obligation to show up and be different. Mm. And then the third part of that impact and why I think it's deeper is the, and the deeper impact is the impact in the mirror. It's who you become in the process. Mm, love because that. When you know who you become in the process, it changes the dynamic of, of how you live. So that's, that's deeper impact. And then the third is complete freedom. And this one, I look at freedom as a, uh, we always, a lot of people will frame freedom in the sense of financial freedom, but that's, that's the most fundamental basic freedom that we can talk about. The bigger freedoms that we need to, to realize, are, because I, I've, got, I've got colleagues. I got one colleague that's probably worth $300 million. He owns five airplanes. I, I have no idea why, because you can only fly one at a time. So, um, <laughs> but he's miserable. His health sucks. His relationships suck. His employees are scared of him. It's awful. From the outside, y'all look at him and go, man, he's financially free. He looks good. Yeah. No, he's imprisoned by the money. He might have a well-decorated prison cell, 
but it is a prison cell nonetheless. Mm. And the only way we do this is we figure out that we need to be free. Yes, financially. So we need to have money there. But more importantly, are we free with our time? Do we have the ability to define how we're going to use our time? Because we have a finite time here on earth. Mm. And then the third freedom that I see with the affluent, affluent people and affluent entrepreneurs is are they free with their mind? Do you have the peace of mind to know that you're doing the right thing, you're doing it your way, and that everything's going to be okay? Yeah. And when we do that, that's what I, what I think. And I think that if we, if we look at it, this is what, what people are truly looking for. Hmm. And so how do we do that financially? Well, there's three pillars of what, what I call the affluence blueprint to do that. The first pillar is really this pillar about generate. It's, it's having a system to generate your cash flow. It's how do you go from a a drip to a flood of cash on an ongoing basis? So we need to create something. Entrepreneurs are really good at it because they're generating income, okay? They generate income. So it's about scaling the cash and the income because through the scaling of that cash and income, we create what I call intrinsic wealth potential. It's because our business becomes our most powerful wealth-building tool. Mm -hmm. The challenge is our business is also our single point of greatest failure. Because if I didn't do what I did the way I did it and had to pull myself out of the business, I'd have been in trouble. I'd have been selling the shoes. (laughs) I'd have been selling the house. I'd have been selling other things because the only source of income that I had was the business and I couldn't work the business the way I needed to. Yeah. And so we need to look at it that way. So, so generate is, is about, the way that we're going to create the income and scale it so it's not highly dependent on you. That's right. The second pillar of, of the, the framework, and this is where, where a lot of where the gap is for a lot of entrepreneurs, is accumulate. Mm-hmm. This is how we take the income that we generate, a section of the income, a slice of the income, a piece of the income, and we convert it to assets. Mm-hmm. But they're investable earning assets. They're not just assets. Because it's by creating this other pool, this this machine of assets that can produce cash flow that we find liberation. This is what, what allows you to not only make what you have work, but it allows you to multiply what you create over time. The, the objective is this. The objective is this, is to get your dollars to work harder for you than you did for them. And oh, I dollars, love that. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. Can you say that one more time? I love that. To get your dollars to work harder for you than you did for them. Because so your dollars are the only ones that will work seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day for you. They're your little foot soldiers that are going to work while you sleep. There's no union, so there is no overtime. There's none of that. We get a chance. Now, here's the challenge. Too often, as individuals, we don't direct our dollars. Yeah. Now, think, of the, think about it this way. Would you hire a group of employees, bring them into a room, and say, I just hired you. I'm not giving any of you job descriptions. I'm not giving you any goals. I'm not giving you any targets. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just want you to do it. And then leave them be 
for seven, 10, 15 years and hope that they did the right thing. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy, but that's what we do with our money. Yes. So why? And people say, well, I don't like to budget. Well, it's not about budgeting. It's about assigning tasks for every dollar that comes in. Mm. So they will they will generate this machine or they'll pay expenses or they'll do things. And you become consciously aware and intentional about everything you do. And when we build that machine outside with that intent, with that plan in, in mind, whether you have a side hustle or it's full time and you take slivers and slice it up. It starts to generate income. Here's the deal. The things that, that people don't realize it is it doesn't take it doesn't take a windfall to make you wealthy. It doesn't take a windfall to make these things happen. What it does take is incremental. Incremental shifts in your income can make monumental shifts in your wealth. Think about this. 200 bucks a, a, a month, $50 a week, $200 a month at 8% over 30 years turns into three over $300,000. Yes. 800 bucks a month. Okay, eight hundred dollars a month will be a million two, and fifteen hundred dollars a month will be two point two million dollars. Now, maybe you don't want to do it for thirty years. Great, but the point is, two hundred dollars a month isn't a lot of money. Right. It's, it's it's cutting some things out that maybe you don't need. Mm-hmm. Going out and saying, "How can I make an additional two hundred dollars by making an additional sale and make sure that that goes into an investment account." It's looking at how I can scale my income without my effort to do something and then transfer that to an investable account. It's a, it, the, 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 is, the idea here isn't about the timing of the market because I hear, hear that the market's really high. That's not about the timing of the market that matters. It's about the time in the market. It's the time in the game. We got to get in the game, stay in the game and consistently be in the game. We get so caught up in this idea of, well, how, Mel, and how much? That's the wrong question. The first question you got to ask is why? Because the how and how much doesn't matter if you don't know why. Mm. So we got to figure out why we want this and then we accumulate it. Now, for me, I look at this in a, uh, is that I wanted, I wanted to build a machine that gave me complete liberation so I could do what I want, what I want to do it, how I want to do it. So everything I do today, I do it by choice. I don't have to work. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because it's possible. My son and his wife, 30 and 27 years old. Okay. Two, two young, young, young bucks, as I can call them, because I'll be 60 this year. Okay. So two, 27, 30 years old, they have three homes already and they have a net worth in, in excess of seven figures. Well, into the million dollars because they ran with principles and they use principles. Now you may sit back and say, I'm not 27, 30. I get it. You don't need to be 27, 30, but the principles work at 27, 30. They work at 37 and 40, 47, 50, 57 and 60. The key is that you get in the game and you stay in the game and you keep running the game. Mm. And that's, that's the difference with doing that. And with me, I look at it and say, I want to build a machine that takes care of me, takes care of my wife. And God forbid something happens to me, that machine still takes care of my wife, but the machine stays intact. Mm-hmm. And then God forbid something happens to her, it takes care and adds to what, what Jeremy and Cammie and, and his wife is putting together. So now the machine grows because they added what they did to it. And now we have a granddaughter coming. And I realize there's another 80 years of Abraham's coming into the world. <laughs> I got another rung on there that I got to think about. And we're going to turn around and say, let's take that machine and we combine it with, with their machine. And that machine grows bigger. And now we, 
We pass that on to take care of the grandchildren, the great grandchildren. We change, we change the generations and the family tree forever by doing it this way. But the key behind it isn't the money. The key behind it is the mindset and the skills to keep it rolling. Mm, so good. So then, so then that leads us to pillar number three. Pillar number three is insulate. You know, unfortunately, we live in a litigious society and people will try to take what we have. And the bit more success you have, the bigger the target is. Amen. Loss, you know, all that stuff. So this is about taking you and moving you from exposed to shielded, to to protected. So Mm -hmm. it may be structuring, it may be insurances, it may be some things, but we need to insulate. So it's really about how do we generate and scale it? How do we how do we accumulate and multiply it? And how do we insulate and shield it? Mm -hmm. That's the model. Now, there's obviously steps in there and everything. But when we get that straight, we have the foundational elements to build affluence in our life over time and and to become that affluent entrepreneur that has a richer lifestyle, deeper impact and complete freedom. Gosh, so good. So good. And you know what I love, what such a powerful statement you said a little bit, a bit ago that said, make your money work harder for you than you worked for your money. And I think that one of the, the timing was just phenomenal for you to just land as a, as a speaker in front of me a, a couple of weeks ago, because it got me thinking for a lot of our listeners here are listening to this. Many are trading time for money and they're building this secondary business. A lot of them in social selling or network marketing that creates somewhat of a residual. But the bottom line is even those who are in coaching, the bottom line is, you know, leaving one nine to five to then be your own boss is like one step, right? And some type of freedom. But if you don't ever shift that mindset and what you said is like, how do you now take this money and make it work harder for you? You're still trading time for money, right? Long term. And so I'll never forget after my my big launch at the end of last year, my business coach, Kayla Kraft, looking at me and saying, congratulations. Now, how are you going to take that money and make that money work for you? Right. It's like this shift in mindset so that you have that freedom on the back end to have that lifestyle, but also that true legacy. And I see people really blowing up about that in the chat. It's just that that legacy, that real legacy piece only happens, like you said, when you have the skills and the mindset and direction for where your money's going as it's coming in. So good. So good. So the three things you said were, let me make sure I got this. The pillars were to generate, accumulate, and insulate, right? Okay. Awesome. Incredible. So enlightening here. So Mel, for one of the things you really discussed, I know we're getting close to the hour here that you discussed that was really helpful for me. And I'm sure a lot of folks listening in would love some advice on this is the leapfrog investing that you spoke about at the mastermind of just kind of breaking down. It's like, okay, so Mel's saying I need to have, I need to be able to tell my money where to go. Can you give folks some advice on like roundabout like ideas on where your money should go? You know, I just, that leapfrog, the leapfrog investing discussion is literally what my husband and I had a conversation about before streaming live today. It was like, we know now where things are going with intention and we didn't a year ago. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's, there's a concept that I teach called leapfrog funding, which is, which is really about understanding that, especially when we are in a place where we have side hustles or, or we're project driven, like I was project driven. I could bring in a case that would pay me a hundred thousand dollars or 50,000 or 20,000. 
And and the tendency for a lot of folks is 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 to go, whoo, got the money, and they go spend it. So money in, money out, and that's a challenge. So one of the things that we need to understand is that most people live their life where they say income comes in, expenses go out to, to fund my lifestyle, and then whatever's left, I decide I'm going to invest. The wealthy, the rich do it differently. Income comes in. They invest first. Okay. Now we all, and then we build lifestyle on what's left. If we don't like the lifestyle that we can build on what's left, then it's important that we fix the income side or the expense side to make it happen. But we don't change the investing side. Here's why. By making investing a priority, what you're actually making a priority is you Mm. because it's about you. If we don't make investing a priority, you're putting you below now the lifestyle needs of the current time, which may not actually be feeding you at the core. So Mm. with that as a as a foundation, I truly believe that as we look at budgets and we look at how to allocate things, when you know that you're bringing in, I want to bring in from a side hustler, I'm going to do a launch or I'm going to do something, I'm going to bring in $100,000 or $50,000. We think about, oh, it's going to cost this much in ads and it's going to cost this much in, in uh, graphics and video or whatever it is that we're doing. But we never look at it and say, how much of that am I going to put towards my investing account? How much of that? So, so at every stage, there should be a slice. Now, I'm going to tell you, a minimum I would like to see, and I tell my clients, 15 to 25% mm-hmm. goes into your investing account, okay? Goes into that investing. So if I'm going to do a $100,000 launch, I know part of the expense of that launch is $25,000, you know, mm-hmm. going into an investment account. So I know that there's $75,000 left. Now, that means that that $75,000 is meant to create to pay for the running of the promotion, the running of the campaign and my living. So we intentionally design it and allocate the dollars up front with an intent to fund it. So I love that. We've got a question here in the chat and I love this. So this can, this can scale up and down, right? So you think about some of these folks who are just starting, you know, launching their boots on the ground, uh, a social selling business, and maybe you're making one to $5,000 a month. Do you have a financial plan for where you can invest each time those cash injections come in? Kimberly's asking, what do you recommend for a good starter investment account if we can, if, if these students can really start having a home for their money as it's coming in? What do you recommend? So the first thing to do is this, is let's call it space spade. I don't know if you all watched what happened with GameStop in the last week or so. Okay, that wasn't investing. That was not even speculating. That was gambling. It was reckless, and a lot of people have gotten uh, got hurt. What I tell people, especially at the beginning, is first off, create a separate high yield cash account. Okay. okay, high yield cash account you can get at any you know credit union, any bank, investment house. Now, its name isn't what it used to be. Okay, a high yield cash account used to get about but one and a half to two percent in. Yeah, okay. it's really low now. We looked at them after it's, I saw it. It's about .6. Yeah, it's really percent. Yeah, it's more than you would get in a regular savings account. Okay. The reason I'm saying a high-yield cash account, it's not an investment account. It's an accumulation account. Mm-hmm. And so 
I want to move my money out of sight, out of mind, into the accumulation high-yield cash account. That high-yield cash account has three characteristics you want it to have. One is it needs to be 100% liquid. That means you can get to it at any time that you want. Two, it has no fees. That means they aren't charging you and there's no cost to get in and out of the account. Three, it's insured. This is a safe account for you. It's a safe haven to separate it from your operating expenses and from your eyeballs because then you don't have the tendency to go, oh, it's there and it's burning a hole in your pocket. Right. So we automatically move it into there. Now, after that, once we accumulate enough, now, then we can then move it into investments that Mm -hmm. suit you. Now, everyone's going to be different because different circumstances, different ages, different risk tolerances will determine what are the better investments? I'm not one at the beginning stages, especially to think about investing in individual stocks. There's just too much risk in, in individual stocks. You don't have the diversification. I would get a, a, an index fund, a broad market index fund or ETF that is low cost that, that covers the market. And now this is investing. This is long term money. So if you stare at it, you put it in there tomorrow and all of a sudden the mark go, market goes down 600 points. You don't start freaking out. You don't start getting wigged out. This is long-term money. Over time, that market has continually gone up. Mm-hmm. So the only thing we're going to invest in the market is the money that we don't need for at least five years. Okay, that's a good because We don't want to take the risk. Uh, look, look, we've had an 11-year bull market. We have an 11-year uprising in the market. We had a correction in, in March, but that was short-lived. I think that we're due for letting off some steam. Somewhere in here, I don't know where, I don't know where, but but here's the deal. When everyone freaked out in March last year and said, oh my God, Armageddon's coming, and they jumped out of the market, they lost. Those stayed in, they gained. The market is crazy at 30,000, okay? But the key is that this is a long-term game for you to play. Mm-hmm. And if we look at that in that way, then we get in the game, we stay in the game, and we allow the game to play out, and we're not being driven by the emotional swings that can happen. Yeah, my gosh. So good. And this is actually kind of a technical question I have for you, because I love that you hit on the high yield. And then what do you do once you get a bolus amount large enough in that high yield? Like, where do you go with it? So you talked about the index fund long-term investing for the banks and people kind of with their money coming in each month, do, can you set up bank accounts so that they literally automatically are making these transfers so that, like you said, it's out of sight, out of mind, like a monthly draft or something like that? I, uh, yes, you can. Most of them will be able to do that. I suggest that all the people that I work with, I said, I want it automatic. Yeah. So that money comes in, it automatically goes out. You never see it. It's just like an auto pay. Yeah. Um, and it gets deposited. So you're self-funding. And all of a sudden, at the end of the year, you're going to go, wow, I got $5,000, $10,000 in this account. All right. Now we can start investigating where do we want to put it. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's no, you don't necessarily need to. Now, if you're in an employment situation where you have a 401k and everything, then first off, fund the 401k to the maximum of the match. If your if your company is matching what you got, you make sure that you're getting their dollars first. So you put in as much as you have to to get them to match, and then max that out to fifteen percent, and then the remaining ten percent will be outside of that. 
Yeah. What now? What do you have to say to people who are, you know, solely entrepreneurs setting up their own 401ks? Or even I've had some folks say that they set up separate 401ks for their side hustle as like not kind of tax deferred income. Can you can you speak to that? In what in what context? Yeah. So if you don't have a retirement, then you can set up a solo 401k. And I would I would suggest that that you do that and fund it. You can do it as a Roth 401k or a regular 401k. And if you want, and you can get about $20,000 into it now, depending on your age. Mm-hmm. If you set up a 401k with profit sharing, you can actually push it closer to 60000 mm-hmm. and everything. So you can get a tax shield if you do it as a, as a regular 401k, or you can get it after tax. And then, and then it, you can take the money out later on with no taxes if it's a Roth, a Roth version. Most plans, if you set them up right, have both options. Okay. Awesome. And that's, I'll say that's one thing I, I'm trying to learn this year is I'm trying to improve my competence around taxes because I know that that's understanding taxes impacts your wealth too. Just trying to raise the bar on that. So Mel, I know we're, we're at an hour now and I want to be respectful of your time. This has been so phenomenal. Any final comments? on, you know, the content that you're sharing just around the leapfrog funding. Is it funding or investing? You said leapfrog funding. 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 Yeah. yeah. I think that the, the biggest thing is this, is that I don't care what decisions you've made in the past, whether they're bad, good, or indifferent. I don't care what your age is. What I care is that you get in the game and stay in the game consistently. What that means is you might need to skill up a little bit. You may need to take a course, read a book, learn some new things. I'm not expecting you to be a financial guru, but I'm expecting you to take control of your financial future because it's not about you alone. It's about you, your legacy, your heirs, your movements, your missions, and they matter. And so it's really getting into this and staying in it that will make a difference. Time is your greatest tool in wealth growth if you stay consistently in the game. That's why $200 a month turns into 300000 Yeah, so profound. So, so good. Such good information. Well, Mel, where can people find you and what do you have going on? Like, do you have any programs or anything going on where people can so, find you, learn more? Yeah, absolutely. They can find me on Instagram at melabraham9. They can find me. I don't know who the other eight are, but we can hunt them down. You can find me on, uh, I'm on Facebook. My, my website's melabraham.com. If you're dealing with debt, if you're dealing with debt and you want to figure out how to get out of debt, I have a debt breakthrough calculator. If you just go to melabraham.com forward slash no debt to help you get out of debt. And also have the Affluence Blueprint, which is my signature program, my flagship program that teaches, goes deeper into what to do in that model and that framework that you'll find on my on my website. And just reach out to me. I, I, I love hearing these conversations. And what I want to do is, is I think that our world needs to realize that we can have control of our financial future. We are not beholden to the government. We're not beholden to stimulus. We're not beholden to social security. We're not beholden to anyone. We're beholden to the dreams that we have in our, in, in, in our, in our lives. And we need to just take control and, and take the journey. Now, it may not be easy, but it certainly can be simple. And so let's get in the game and know that you're not alone because financial liberation, affluence, and possibility is a birthright. Oh, 
So good. Well, you are such an inspiration. And I know that you are making such a huge impact on this earth. And just thank you so much for that. I know you don't have to work, right? So I just am so grateful that you showed up for this hour today to just give and share your knowledge um, within my community. And you guys will be able to grab his information in the show notes for the podcast too. So thank you so much, Mel. Thanks for coming on today. Oh my gosh. Thanks for having me. This was a joy for me. And so blessings to you all. And and, uh, let's crush it in 2021. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Burnout to All Out podcast. For free resources, materials, or information on my coaching services, go ahead over to livethefreelife.co. That's livethefreelife.co. Or check out our Facebook community at Burnout to All Out. And make sure you follow Burnout to All Out on Spotify and subscribe to iTunes. And it would truly mean the world to me if you paused for just a second gave me that five-star review of the show and be sure to share this episode with any burnouts you think would be inspired to go all out after hearing this episode.